Well, today I have the privilege of wrapping up our summer sermon series, going through uh, some of the parables of Jesus. And just as a last reminder, uh, parables are short, meaning-filled word pictures. They are stories that illuminate profound spiritual truths. Or an easy way to think about parables, they are earthly stories with kingdom truths. And we have seen a a lot of truths about God and his kingdom this summer, haven't we? Uh, We've learned about the character of God. We've learned more about the nature of man. Uh, And we have looked at several aspects of the kingdom itself. We've looked at the grace of the kingdom. Uh, We've considered how we can be a part of God's kingdom. We've looked at different accents of the kingdom. And today, I thought it was fitting to close our parable series talking about the value of the kingdom. So if you have your Bibles with you today, and I hope that you do, uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. Uh, We're going to be starting in verse 44 today. Uh, We're actually going to be looking at two related parables. But combined, uh, they actually only make up three verses in Scripture. Really short. Uh, They are the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. So let me read these two short stories for us. And then from there, uh, we'll discuss a few truths about the kingdom that come from these parables. So let's read this together. Jesus says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Uh, Well, what I want to show you today through these two short stories Uh, is that while there are a lot of layers of meaning that can be taken from here, um, there's a lot that we can pull out and hopefully we'll do some of that. Uh, There is actually one primary point to both of these parables. Both of these parables point us to the same reality, the same truth, and that is the value or the worth of the kingdom of heaven. And the reason that Jesus is sharing these parables with us is to ultimately ask his hearers a few questions. Jesus is asking you and I, what is it that we most value? What is it that we most prize? Or what is our greatest treasure? And you can even think about that for yourself like right now. Like if if you took an inventory of everything in your life, all that you have and all that you are, what would come back as the thing that you value the most? What would you say is your greatest treasure? You see, uh, here's what we know to be true. Uh, that being, in, being created in the image of God, uh, we are actually create, created to uh, treasure, to, to wonder, to have a sense of awe, and not just to treasure anything, but, but ultimately we are created to treasure God. And that's actually really, really good news for us. Because there is no other treasure that will give our hearts the, the peace, the rest, the security, 
and the belonging that they naturally seek. And, and here's why this is so important. You know, there's several reasons. But the main reason I think this is so crucial for us is because what you value the most, your greatest treasure, will always shape the direction of your life in profound ways. Uh, to, to put it more clearly, our treasure, whatever it is, uh, it tends to control us. It takes up our time. It, it, it consumes totally our, our thought life. Oftentimes it determines our, our emotional well-being. It affects our whole outlook on life. You know, for example, if you treasure material things, things that you can accumulate in this world, your whole trajectory of life will be bent around getting and, and consuming those things. Uh, you might work longer hours. You might chase after a career or specific jobs just because of higher pay. You'll create a sense of identity based on what you have or even what you don't have. And then there'll be all this time spent maintaining, uh, maintaining what you gather and upgrading what you already have. You know, you'll find that your emotions and your levels of peace will actually fluctuate up and down based on how much uh, you have or, or how you're doing compared to the people around you. And the result is, uh, again, you, you might end up with a, with a nice house. You might drive a really nice car. Uh, you might have the best clothes. You might have a really good physique, uh, whatever it might be but you'll end up empty in all of the ways that really matter. You know, we can go through countless examples of this, but, but our heart's greatest treasure always shapes our lives in profound ways, both now and forever. And so through these parables, Jesus is confronting us today with two life-shaping questions. Number one, he's asking, what is your treasure? What is your treasure? And number two, he's asking, uh, are, you living, are you living for the greatest treasure? What is your treasure? And are you living for the greatest treasure? So with that sort of in front of us, let's now dig into these stories. And we're going to begin by talking about the the reality of the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom. You'll notice that in both verses 44 and 45, Jesus begins the parable, these, both these parables, the exact same way. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and so let's briefly stop there. Right from the beginning of both of these stories, Jesus reveals his main subject to us. These parables are about the kingdom of heaven. And what is the kingdom of heaven exactly? And just so we're on the same page. Well, uh, we see that Jesus uses different names for the kingdom throughout the Gospels. And if you've read any of the Gospels, you've probably picked up on that. Sometimes he says uh, the kingdom of heaven, like here and, and throughout the majority of the book of Matthew. Other times, it's the kingdom of God. Um, other places in the New Testament, it's called Christ's kingdom. But they all point, each of those points to the same reality. They are synonymous 
terms. And so here's what the kingdom is. Here's what it is. God's kingdom is the realm of God's gracious and good rule. God's kingdom is the realm of his gracious and good rule. And where the kingdom is, God is. And his gracious rule extends over human hearts that have bowed before him through faith in Jesus Christ. So this is why, like in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, when Jesus launches his public ministry, the very first thing that he says is this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he was saying was, the king is here, and where the king is, there is his kingdom, and the reign of God's rule is now breaking in. It's come. The good and gracious rule of God and his kingdom is here because I, King Jesus, am here. Uh, and so understand that, that to enter the kingdom is the same thing as being uh, saved or to enter into eternal life. That's why followers of Jesus in the New Testament are actually called citizens of the kingdom. Because all who belong to God through faith in Jesus, all who have submitted their lives to the lordship of Christ, uh, they are part of the kingdom, kingdom citizens. Um, Now, we know that at this moment, uh, God's kingdom is is spiritual. It's actually intangible. It's, It's invisible. But that will not always be the case. You see, when the kingdom comes... When Jesus arrives in full, all of that will change. In uh, Revelation chapter 21, we read that on that day, when Jesus returns, here's what it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And so when God's kingdom comes in full in the new heavens and new earth, it will be visible, it will be universal, and it will be eternal. And so this is why we say that the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is both now and not yet. Because the kingdom, it is here now, but for now, it's invisible. It's just as present now, but it's hidden. It's hidden right now, and it's it's continually, uh, quietly, and subtly growing. Even now, as human hearts bow low before the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says the kingdom of of heaven is like, this is what he's referring to: the realm of God's gracious and good rule, the place where He is. And so here in Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure. It's like a priceless pearl. So so let's see why he, he says that. Again, in verse 44, let's read that together. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Uh, so he, here we have in this, in this first parable, uh, we have this man 
who stumbles upon a treasure in a field and who sells everything that he has to get that field in order to get that treasure. A few years ago, uh, you might have seen it uh, on the news in America, but a couple uh, in Northern California, they were just taking a walk, uh, walking together around their property, and they happened to stumble upon a can that was sort of sticking out of the ground, just like a, a tin can. And so when they found it, they, they started digging, and what they discovered was actually more cans. And then to their surprise, inside every single one of those cans, there were actually gold coins inside. Um, actually, there were more than 1,400 coins found in those tin cans, all of them from the 1800s and the California gold rush. And the really good news for them uh, was that these coins, collectively, they were valued at over 10 million uh, U.S. dollars. $10 million. Right? Isn't that cl- crazy? Right? At the time, it was believed to be the most valuable treasure ever discovered in the United States. Uh, of course, uh, we know that bearing our treasures or, or valuables today, it's not that common. But back in Jesus' time, this was actually a very common practice uh, to protect your wealth. You know, today, uh, we all know this, right? We hardly even see our money. It's all digitized in savings accounts, 401ks, things like the stock market. Uh, But in Jesus' day, there was none of that, right? There was no centralized bank, no safe places to store your wealth. And so typically, a family's wealth was tied up in things like their land or, or their animals or particular possessions, and, and so only the extremely rich uh, would have extras like treasures or, or jewels or things like coins. Uh, but to protect those things, what would they do? Well, uh, a lot of times they would, as crazy as it might sound to us, they would actually bury them. Uh, particularly if they were going to travel or let's say it was wartime, you would bury your treasures to keep them safe. So, so we have that scenario here. There's a buried treasure in a field, and a man discovers it. And we really don't have any other details other than that. We don't know if this man just so happened to be like walking along and he saw it. Uh, Maybe he was a hired day laborer, so he was just like out doing his job, plowing a field, and he just dug this up by coincidence. Like we don't know. But regardless, imagine putting yourself in this story. Imagine what it would be like to be this man. Uh, You're just out there uh, plowing in a field like every other day, row after row. And then your plow hits what seems to be a rock or a root. And so you you stop to try to figure out like what's going on. But when you you get down uh, to move it or to dig it up, right, you discover something totally unexpected. You move the dirt away, you see a jar or or a box, and then when you open it, you're just stunned by what you see there. It's more wealth than you have ever seen in your entire life. Imagine that. 
And of course, right in that moment, uh, your heart would start to race, wouldn't it? Uh, and there'd be all sorts of questions like, uh, who's, whose is this? Or where did this come from? Uh, does anybody else know about this? And you might even probably ask, I think I would, how can I make this treasure? How can I make it mine? And so uh, you come up with this idea. Uh, you're you're going to rebury it. Uh, you're going to pretend like it never happened. Uh, what you just discovered, it never happened. And then you're going to go and try uh, to figure out how to buy that entire field. But when you inquire about that, you realize that the field costs way more uh, than you actually have in your bank account. It's just too expensive. But then you start to think again because you really want that treasure. You think like, well, I, I could sell my house. Uh, I, could, I could cash out all of my retirement. I could sell my car, right? You, you start to consider all of your possessions and you realize uh, that if you sold absolutely everything that you own, you would have just enough to buy that field and therefore get that treasure. And of course, right, it's a little risky, right? Uh, but you know that the treasure is of incomparable value to everything that you own. And so joyfully, you go off and you sell everything that you have. You avoid all the questions of family and friends who, who don't understand what you're doing. Uh, they think you're crazy, that you're, you're ruining your life. But you buy that field. That's what Jesus says happens to this man. He found something, a treasure that was so valuable that he gladly gave up everything that he had to get it. Now, hold that thought. Then Jesus tells us another story, verse 45 through 46. Jesus shares a different parable to help explain the same point. And we see here the, the scene shifts from a day laborer to a pearl merchant. Look at it again, verse 45, starting there. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, a pearl merchant would have been a businessman who specialized in, in finding pearls at reduced rates, who would then uh, turn around and sell those pearls at a marked up cost. So you could think of him sort of like a, a wholesaler who would, who would travel around markets and ports and, and trade shows looking for pearls to buy. And the hope, again, was, was that he would get products at a good price or a discounted price and then turn around and sell those items for as much as he possibly could. And, and now in Jesus' time, it's important for us to also know that pearls were, were equivalent to diamonds today, right? They were incredibly rare and incredibly precious, very, very valuable you know, pearls were, were definitely one of the most sought-after gems of that time period. And so a single, perfect, unblemished pearl of just the right size would have been of incredible value. You know, have you, have you ever experienced uh, or had the experience of looking for something? Uh, not just for a few minutes, 
not even just like for a few days, but even like a few weeks only to find it. I remember several years back, maybe it was like 15 or so years ago, uh, some of you remember this, when the game system, the Nintendo Wii, uh, came out. I was in college at the time, I think. Um, but I have a, a young nephew. He was really young at the time, and he really wanted the Nintendo Wii. He really wanted it for Christmas, but they were sold out everywhere. And I remember I was trying to, to, to find, it, find it for him. I was trying to be the hero, uh, uncle. And so I'm calling all these big box stores. I'm visiting, you know, all these malls and places. And it's just, there's just no way. It's impossible. Uh, but one day, um, I went to one really popular big box store. Uh, those of you who are from the West may have heard of it. Target, sort of like E-Mart. Okay. Um, I was at Target looking for other stuff uh, for Christmas, sort of last minute Christmas shopping. And I just thought to myself, you know, um, there's no hope, like no chance, but I'll just go to the back in the electronics department um, and I'll just see. And so I go to the back and sure enough, um, there's a little tag right where the Nintendos are supposed to be and it says sold out. Um, but just for the sake of it, um, just to say that I tried, I went to the, the counter, to the clerk or the merchant, and I asked him, I said, like, I know this is crazy, um, but do you guys have any Nintendo Wii's? I know it said that it's sold out, but do you guys have any? And he said, you know what, hang on a second. And he went to the back, um, and, and when he came out, I, I couldn't believe it. He was holding, in his hands, he was holding a Nintendo Wii. He was holding one. And he came up to me, he's like, you're not going to believe this, but we literally, literally, just like 30 minutes ago, we just got a store shipment in, and in it, there was one Nintendo Wii. Here it is. I was pumped. I was so excited. I'm going to be the hero. I, I kind of wanted to keep it for myself, but I didn't. I didn't. I passed it on to my nephew. He was thrilled, had a great Christmas. Um, it was an awesome feeling. But, but imagine, so, so imagine uh, the moment, though, going back to this parable, the moment when the merchant found what he was looking for. After all of his searching, all of his travel, the ports, all the markets, uh, all of those trade shows, after all the pearls that he had looked at, sifted through, he finally finds the one. And just as the man who found the treasure sold all that he had to get the field, so the merchant sells all that he has to get that one pearl. And so what is Jesus saying in these parables about the kingdom? Well, I think it's pretty simple and clear, actually. Jesus is making the powerful and spiritual point that everything in this world, everything uh, this world sees as worthwhile or, or, or of value, all of it counts as loss compared to the value of God's kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying here. And, and don't get me wrong, right? It's not uh, that the things of this world are all bad, Right? We know that there are like a bajillion things in this world that are incredibly good. But when compared to the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says they are lost. That's how good the kingdom is. That's how valuable uh, it is. And so let's talk about, a little bit more detail, let's talk about the value of the kingdom 
along with a few other principles found here. So again, let's talk about the value, number one, if you're taking notes, the value of the kingdom. You know, I think uh, for those of us who, who even belong to the kingdom, who know Jesus, the value of belonging to the kingdom is something that we often forget and at times just simply take for granted. But here, Jesus is helping us to realign our hearts to see the kingdom as the greatest treasure by telling us that it's priceless. That in Jesus, believers have an eternal treasure that is beyond comparison. That if you belong to him by faith, you are actually immeasurably wealthy beyond your biggest imagination. Now remember, uh, the kingdom as we defined it is where Jesus graciously reigns for the good of his people and his glory. That means most broadly uh, that the treasure of the kingdom includes everything that flows from Jesus. So again, he is the king over his kingdom. And the treasure encompasses all of the riches that flow from Jesus. So think about it this way. Who could put a price tag on knowing your entire life that you are loved as a son or as a daughter of God? Who could put a price tag on knowing that your sins are fully forgiven past present, and future? Who could put a price tag on the peace that comes from knowing that God is 100% for you in Christ? Who could put a, a value on knowing that you actually matter to God and that you are safe in his hands forever? Who could put a, a price tag on, on knowing that at this very moment, even right now, that God is working all things for your good? Who could put a, a value on knowing that you are progressively being transformed by the Spirit of God from the inside out? And that he, God, promises to complete the good work that he has begun in you to make you look more like his son, Jesus. Right? Who could put a price tag on the reality that you belong to God forever? If you belong to the kingdom today, you belong to God forever. And who could put a price tag on knowing, having the knowledge that this world is not all that there is? Right? There is no price tag on on all of that, there, there just couldn't be. It's priceless. All of the money in the world across all generations could not buy those things for you. That's why Psalm 84.10 says that a day in your courts, God, is better than a thousand elsewhere. It's why the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3.8, look at this. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Belonging to the king and his kingdom is the most valuable treasure a human can possess. There is no greater treasure than belonging to him. 
Nothing in the universe can match the priceless value of this kingdom. And so you see, now maybe you understand, only a fool would be unwilling to relinquish everything that he has to get this. Because this treasure, the kingdom, is worth far more than any sacrifice you could ever make to get it. There is nothing of greater value. Nothing comes even close. So let me ask you today, again, what is your greatest treasure? What do you value the most? Is the kingdom and belonging to the king, is that your greatest treasure? Uh, I hope that all of us listening here today and watching can say that it is. Well, moving on, a second principle that I think that we see in these parables is this. Number two, the hiddenness of the kingdom. The hiddenness of the kingdom. You know, after all, uh, we see both the treasure and the pearl. Uh, in both of these parables, they were hidden in both stories, right? In other words, they had to both be discovered. They weren't obvious to the casual observer. And we've seen this, I think, with the parables or with parables themselves um, that we've studied over and over again this summer, that the true meaning of a parable uh, is not immediately obvious all the time. And Jesus said that this would be the case with the kingdom as well. He said the kingdom would actually come and spread throughout the world without fanfare. In other words, there's not like a parade, right? Most people actually are not paying attention. That's exactly what we see happening. Look, at with, look with me at Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus says this about the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. You see, God's full reign is, is, is right now, it's actually veiled to an extent. But we do see evidences of the kingdom in and amongst us. For example, like when a sinner turns from themselves and turns to Christ, that's a glimpse of the kingdom. Or like when the gospel is heralded or proclaimed, that's a, that's a glimpse of the kingdom. Or when a new church is, is planted, right? That's a glimpse of the kingdom. But overall, the kingdom is veiled. It's covered and I think that's why there are so many struggles. So, so many of you have experienced this. There are so many struggles in relationships between believers and non-believers. Because look at what Paul, the Apostle Paul, again, says in 1 Corinthians 2.14. He says, the natural person, that's, that's a person who's not a follower of Jesus. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And then Jesus himself says this in John 3, 3, familiar passage, I think. It says, Jesus, he's talking to Nicodemus, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so, 
what we see in, in both these texts is that there is a real supernatural perception that is given by the Holy Spirit to followers, to true followers of Jesus. And therefore, the kingdom of God and its value is actually hidden to those who cannot see, those that don't belong to the kingdom. That's why the world, right? This makes sense now. That's why the world thinks that we are crazy, right? For for giving everything we are and all that we have to God. They can't understand, right? Why we would bother to fight sin or why we would move across the globe. Why would we, we, why we would give our time, why we give our money for the glory of Jesus or why we are so passionate about the gospel because they actually cannot understand. It's veiled to them. So for now, we see uh, in these parables and the rest of the scriptures that the kingdom is partially hidden, just like, again, this treasure and the pearl. It needs to be discovered. It needs to be seen. It needs to be experienced to truly begin to comprehend its value. It needs to be sought after. In other words, God needs to work in your heart through the Holy Spirit. He needs to draw you to himself, to draw you to Jesus, to woo you with his love for you to uncover this treasure. Well, then that, that leads us to the, the third principle here, and we're going to move to the, uh, through these last two really quickly. The third principle here in these two parables, we see the joy of the kingdom. The joy of the kingdom. In the parable of the, the hidden treasure, it explicitly states here that the man went away to sell everything that he had in joy. Joy. And I think that makes sense, right? This guy basically wins the lottery, right? You'd probably be filled with joy too. Uh, And while we don't see this explicitly with the man who found the pearl, I do think it's clearly implied. You know, something that I thought about as I was studying these two parables uh, is that uh, if you think about it, uh, the man with the treasure, with the field, right, he could have sold all of his stuff got his field, got his treasure, and then actually, if he wanted to, uh, bought all of his stuff back. And then he'd still have uh, a ton left over, right? Countless amounts left over. But it's different with the man and the pearl. See, he wanted the pearl. He didn't just uh, want the wealth. He wanted the pearl itself, and therefore, right, he couldn't give it up. His delight was in possessing, don't miss this, his delight was in possessing the pearl. Not to necessarily profit from the pearl, but to just have the pearl. And I think that's really instructive for us. And, and so, so ask yourself, church family, do you delight in possessing the kingdom not just in what you get from the kingdom, but just belonging to it. See, over and over again, we, we see through the scriptures, including here, that God and his kingdom are matters of joy and life. And, and I think so many of us need to be reminded of that, need to hear that, 
right? Listen, Jesus came to maximize your joy, not to shrink your joy, right? The world and and the flesh and the devil, right? They steal our joy, but Jesus gives it. And though we are broken, though we we are surrounded by broken people and, and the world itself is broken, Right In the midst of all that, Jesus is seeking to give us a joy that will not perish or pass away. Right? Again, don't miss that truth. God wants your deepest joy. Right? Listen to these incredible passages in scripture. John 15, 11 says, These things I have spoken to you. Jesus says this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Or 1 John 1, 4, it says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Or how about this last one, Romans 14, 17. I love this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace. And what? And joy in the Holy Spirit. And so over and over and over again, the Bible tells us that joy is the natural and inevitable result of having tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Right? And we're not talking about like a false, superficial uh, 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 happiness, right? With like fake smiles, pretending that everything is good when it's really not. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about deep heart-level joy that is actually rooted in, anchored in a treasure that is rooted in a reality that far surpasses anything that this world can offer us. Joy is what comes when you have the kingdom as your greatest treasure. Joy is what comes when you have the kingdom as your greatest treasure. And so let me ask you, what does your joy or lack thereof say about what you treasure? Because there is always a direct connection between our joy and what we value the most. Well, that then brings us to our last point for today. I believe that these two parables show us the cost of the kingdom. The cost of the kingdom. It's point four. In both the story of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, we see that both men had to actually sell everything that they had to get the treasure. And this is certainly, uh, certainly an intentional, very intentional detail given by Jesus. Because he wants you and I to see that to get the ultimate treasure requires literally everything. It takes complete surrender. And that is, of course, not to to say that we buy our salvation or even earn it, right? The rest of the scriptures make that so clear, right? Uh, Jesus paid the full price of salvation by living a perfect life for us, by dying on the cross, by bearing the just wrath of God that we deserved in our place. He, He rose from the dead, defeating sin, Satan, and death. And and when he did that, when Jesus did that, he made complete atonement for all the sins of all of his people forever. 
And so again, salvation is free to the repentant believer. That's really good news. It's free to those who put their faith, who choose to put their faith in Jesus. And so again, we don't earn it, but we do need to respond to it. We do need to respond. And what we see in these parables is that our response is very costly. It actually costs everything. Both men gave it all to get the treasure. They discovered it, but then they had to give up everything to obtain it, to have it. And this is such a good picture, I think, of salvation, right? We give Jesus all we are by faith. And then in turn, he gives us all that he is, or he gives all that he is to us. And that's exactly how a covenant relationship works. A covenant relationship says that I give all of myself and all that I am, all that I have, I give it to you. If you give all that you are and all that you have to me. And that's exactly what happens in salvation. So, so this is not, let's not get mistaken, this is not a, a minor decision. It's costly. It means giving up your pride. It means giving up your, your, your self-centeredness. It means uh, being willing to turn from a life lived for self and trusting Jesus and Jesus alone, right? Both men in these stories had to personally respond once they discovered the treasure, and so do we. So, will you cling to your old self and your own righteousness, or Will you surrender to Jesus and receive a far greater treasure and superior joy? All the treasures of this world cannot make you more satisfied than Jesus. He is the prize of all prizes. And all good things in this world are nothing compared to him. There are more riches in him that we could ever get to the bottom of. And so thank goodness for his grace, actually, that we have eternity to dig and discover because there is always, always more. Well, let me, let me leave you today. I want to leave you today with this quote by Jonathan Edwards. I think it sums this up really well. It's so good. He once said this, listen, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven, that is to belong to the kingdom, fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Church family, to belong to God 
and his kingdom is to possess the greatest treasure available. And so let me end with where we started today. Where is your treasure? And are you living for the greatest treasure? Let me encourage you today. Let me encourage you. Run to King Jesus and his kingdom. Give your all to him and for him to get even more in him. Give him, uh, give your all to him and for him to get even more in him. Will you pray with me?